So you're all set? I'm ready. Welcome to the new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And today we have a very special episode. It's the first of our Friends February series. And with us, we have uh, someone who is a new friend for us. Um, Twitter changed their algorithm recently, and all of a sudden you started seeing new people pop up on your feed. And um, this is one of the new people that I got introduced to. And her name is Anne, and she's from Chicago. And I liked her energy so much that I wanted to have her on the show with us. So hi, Anne. Hi, thanks for having me. We are so happy that you're here with us. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I'm uh, a writer from Chicago, obviously. Um, she found me through my Twitter handle, and from the shy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we we kind of interacted a bit on there, you know, dealing with some, some crazy Trumpians and uh, interesting folks. I mean, that's just half of Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would venture to say that's about 90% of Twitter. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> whether whether they're for him or against him, everyone's talking about him. So Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so I, I write short fiction and I run a literary magazine called Cat on a Leash Review, which is also based in Chicago. Um, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. Great. So what's your Twitter handle so people can find you? My Twitter handle is Anne from the Shy, Anne with an E. Right. Yes. <laughs> Feel a little left out. I don't have Twitter. This. Oh no! Well, you gotta get on it. This one's smart. She won't go in. She won't go anywhere near it, and it's mm-hmm. probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea because it's like low key addictive, and also just terrible for the soul. I think at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, for sure. You find the craziest, like most awful evil people on there we're really selling it (laughs) i'm more i just became on uh, instagram since we've got this podcast so i do our instagram and our facebook yeah but yeah i I feel really old because i have no twitter i think i had a twitter once i i misspelled my own name it was more so i could uh classic andy i know classic andy um, (laughs) because i'm a terrible speller but uh it was back when i had a cell plan that allowed free Twitter and Facebook, but no data. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> this is a long time ago. So I used it like, you know, when you're on the bus and stuff. And Andy just dated herself really badly. I am 38 years old. I can date my own self. <laughs> so uh, when we set up our Friends February uh, series, we were talking to people. And we wanted to find out what they were interested in. So we weren't just like, gapping along and boring the hell out of our guests. And and you mentioned that you were interested in the celebrity world. So that's kind of where our story is focused tonight. And we were talking before recording, and my story is a little depressing, shall we say. Uh, so I'm going to go first, and then Andy's going to finish us off with a great, fun, happy celebrity pop culture stories. So... <laughs> So my story for this week, and and feel free to jump in and interrupt us at any time. That's half the joy of the show, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so my story this week is about problematic media. Ugh, yeah. Uh, it really kind of got hit home to me during the Christmas with the whole baby it's cold outside controversy with radio stations playing it and pulling it. Uh, And then last weekend, I decided I hated myself. So I watched the entire R. Kelly documentary in like one afternoon. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not that bright. (laughs) (laughs) Poor life choices. Really poor life choices. (laughs) Uh, So that's where I'm going to kind of like, that's the recent things that have put me off on this track. Um, And so I want to look at different songs and books and movies and TV uh, that could be considered currently problematic. Um, so I think, as I say, about four times a day, I'm a historian, but my, my training and my university degrees are in history. And the first thing they teach you is to never judge the past by today's moral standards. Uh, Society is constantly changing, so to impose your morals on the past just doesn't make sense. It means you're going to miss out on really important nuances. So I try to take that approach when consuming media, but it 
doesn't always work. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of that as well and how to be good consumers of problematic media. But that doesn't mean that all things from the past get a free pass in today's society. I think we have to draw some lines somewhere and hold to them. You can watch or listen and read to something while acknowledging it has its time and its place. You can decide not to consume problematic media altogether, or you can consume problematic media and then rant and rave about it after the fact, which not great for your blood pressure. I mean, but that's, but that's usually what I tend to do. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> like I personally, I still love the Little House on the Prairie series. Like that was a book series that I was really partial to as a kid and I will read it to my kids, but I'm definitely going to highlight how problematic it is for their, uh, for the representation of say native Americans uh, in those books. But, but that was the lens to which she was looking at it. Yeah. And I mean, that can be a discussion for my kids, but I still love those books. It doesn't take away my love of them yeah. because I still remember my mom reading them. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm not so much a proponent of the we can't judge them by today's standards camp. Um, one of the things that there was this kind of lighting conversation I had with my grandpa once um, that really changed my view of that. Um, we were we were kind of getting into it talking talking with my parents about um, like segregation and how America has changed over the years. And my parents were trying to argue, like, what, what you said, like, we can't judge yesterday by today's standards. And my grandpa <laughs> piped up and was like, you know what, I lived through segregation. Like, I sat on the back of the bus with black folks. Like, I really, I don't, I don't agree. Like, I think it was just terrible. And we have to judge it as terrible. So, I mean, there is something to be said for trying to give a forgiving view to the past. But I think there are definitely pretty glaring exceptions to that. For sure. And I guess it all depends on where you consider history starting, right? So that was your grandfather's like personal experience. So it's obviously it wasn't history for him. But I focused my studies on like 18th century British history. And oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the empire in modern context, terrible. And I would never advocate for going back or starting a new one. But like, when you like study the nuanced history of it, you see where they're coming from and why they did what they did. And it I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to judge them for it either. So I agree. Like there's some things you can't, I, like 200 years from now, I think we're still going to say the Nazis probably had it wrong. I, I hope. Fingers crossed. President Trash Monster's not starting anything, but <laughs> there we go. So what do I mean when I say problematic media? And honestly, I typed that into a Google search and I was surprised that like Google knew what I was thinking. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. And this is a term that's like out there. You also have a Google Home, so Google's listening. <gasps> True. Oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> so to me problematic, me, problematic media is something that throws into a positive light um, ideas, representations, or narratives that run counter to what's widely accepted in our society um, and as our collective morals. It's obviously highly, highly subjective. So I think back to the first James Bond movie where James Bond slaps pussy galore and then kisses her into submission. So there's violence and there's a bit of rape culture there, but James Bond was seen as like the hottest man alive and everyone wanted to be him or be with him. So now that's, excuse me out, I can't watch it. Obviously, R. Kelly um, had his time in his place and people were willing to overlook quite a lot. Uh, Sex in the City did not age well. I recently mm -hmm. rewatched it. I never watched it in the first place. I'm, gonna lie. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I used to love it. I did when I was in high school. I was like, oh my God, this is so empowering. Like, this is so great. They don't have a single black friend. No. They live in New York City. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and also for, friends doesn't age well for that no. oh friends is even worse no. <laughs> <laughs> uh so right so if you're not sure if something you like or want to support is considered problematic and so you're not sure if you can like or support it it happens we all have different experiences and what lands with me may not land with you and vice versa so how do you assess the media that you are consuming in a socially conscious way? There is a website, and I hope this doesn't turn off some of our audience, 
but hopefully they're not listening if they would be, called everydayfeminist.com. And there was an article called Thinking Critically About Problematic Media, A Basic How-To Guide. And the author there gives a couple of steps uh, to kind of be conscious consumers of media products. The first is to think critically about it. Is it representative? Are there positive representations? And what is the history or context of its creation? So again, Sex and the City and Friends. No black people, like anywhere in it. It's not or people of color in general. In general. Yeah, at all. <laughs> yeah. It's not very representative. And, you know, token gay characters that just fit every stereotype. Yes, exactly. It's not very representative, and the stereotypes make it not a positive representation when it is there. Don't make excuses for it when you are watching it. You have to be open to how other people have different or negative views of it. And so you have to be open to alternative interpretations of the media. Consider where you're going to draw the line. So me, I won't consume any more uh, Chris Brown music or Charlie Sheen. I won't watch anything he's been in. Ugh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> <For a while. laughs> I think a lot of people forget that Charlie Sheen once shot Kelly Preston. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, actually. Good point. <laughs> exactly, right? They were dating, and he shot her, and then he went on to have this huge film career and this huge TV career, and I'm just like, we went wrong on that. As a collective society, we went wrong there. Uh, and the, her last tip um, for consuming what might be problematic is to keep pushing for better. So go on Twitter, go on Facebook, talk to the producers, the networks, let them know that you want to see more and better things. And the last piece from this article that I read that I thought was really interesting, I just want to read this quote uh, don't be afraid to indulge in something because it doesn't fit perfectly into the social justice framework you advocate for, but do be sure you're putting in the necessary work to engage with it critically. So I like that. Yeah. Like you can watch it. You just have to be aware of the fact that it might be really shitty and trashy and other people aren't going to agree with you on why you like it. And that's fine. But I think in, in yes, you want to make sure you're looking at critically, but I think that's the same for everything. Like, I can find something really funny that you don't. Like, I love NCIS because I find it's the funniest comedies on TV. They're not comedies. I find them hilarious. She does not share my love of their funniness. No. She says, I'm watching NCIS. I'm like, which one and for how many times does this make it today? Like, move on. <laughs> I think the, the LA one is very funny. No. Um... Yeah, like, I, I really like that last point, too, because, like, even stuff that has stood up really well um, can still have its issues. Like, for instance, Golden Girls. I love Golden Girls. Way ahead of its time. However, you know, there are definitely some problematic things here and there. Like, every, every now and then they'll, you know, hit a stereotype, hit something homophobic, um, because it was a different era. Um and the important thing is just to watch that critically and be like, oof, that that was wince-worthy, but, you know, you can still enjoy the media to some extent. Yeah, exactly. And we also love Golden Girls. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Good point. <laughs> Nobody we want to know, I guess. Exactly. Like, if you don't if you don't watch Golden Girls, I don't think we can be friends. No, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have some examples I wanted to talk about. Um and I want to start with movies. So content-wise, we have to go back to the granddaddy of all of them, and that's the movie Birth of a Nation. Um, it was groundbreaking. I'll give it that. It was the first kind of major motion picture. But I, you just can't get over the fact that the clan was cast in the hero role. Yeah. <laughs> but it is hard, so, to, hard to forget that part. <laughs> hard to forget and hard to forgive that part as far as I'm concerned. For sure. It still appears on all of the best movie of all times list, which... I, I honestly, I cannot agree nor see why anymore. It, it's just because it exists. Yeah, like because it I don't first. I, <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna look at movies that revital or kind of reinvented the wheel, like The Matrix or Lord of the Rings, a little problematic in some ways, but like literally and reinvented movie making and made it modern in new ways. So, I think we can take a the Birth of a Nation off the list altogether and put it in a box and bury it six feet under and then light it on fire and call it a day. Well, that's just me. Um, any sort of, any of the movies done by Roman Polanski or Woody Allen, um, they are great storytellers. Woody Allen is not a great storyteller. I'm sorry. Woody Allen is uh, not a great storyteller. Some of them are okay. I have to agree with Andy on this one. 
<laughs> no, fair. Fair. I do too. I'm just like double back. Like, you hear all these like film buffs and all these like film dudes going on about like how great Woody Allen movies are. And I think that says more about them than Woody Allen. I can honestly say that I've only watched like maybe a couple and they were insufferable. Oh my yeah. God. Yes. Midnight in Paris made me want to vomit. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> So Roman Polanski and Woody Allen are always kind of touted as these like great story makers or great filmmakers, but like, let's be fair, they're accused child molesters, if not proven child molesters in a lot of cases. So again, even though some people see them as being some of the best of the craft, not sure if you can consume that media with a clean conscience. I can't at least, that's my thing. Uh, movies can convince us of things that we shouldn't be convinced of. For example, Oliver Stone's JFK is basically just a conspiracy buffet in which Stone lays out um, a lot of different conspiracies about how JFK was killed. The problem is, is he lays them out so convincingly that you're willing to pick it all up and eat it all off that crazy town buffet. And uh, the article I was reading compared it to National Treasure, which is also a conspiracy movie. <laughs> and I love <laughs> National Treasure because it's awful, but so much fun. But that's just it. You're never going to believe the conspiracy oh, proposed God. because nobody put a treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So it's so bonkers and out there to start off with that you won't believe it. Whereas the danger of the Oliver Stone movie is it's insidious and you will believe what they're that's selling. That's true. So. Also, it's Nicolas Cage. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little bit of a. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then <clears throat> this is the one that kind of broke my heart the most and that's the James Bond movies all of them are not great for how they represent women okay. uh, minorities uh, I love these movies growing up because um, even though we're in Canada we got TBS as a, an import cable station and they used to play all the James Bond movies like non-stop leading up to Christmas and mm -hmm. my family and I would watch them and it was like tradition so I love these movies and then we were listening to the James Bonding podcast which is just like fandom gone mad for these movies and so I was re-watching the movies as I was listening to this podcast last year and I realized the movies are just terrible for how they treat women and minorities and I just like couldn't even, even the mats admit that they are horrible for how they treat women and yeah. minorities. Yeah. Like the like if you want an outline for toxic masculinity, it is James Bond. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I think it's just Ian Fleming. <laughs> Ian Fleming. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever read any of the books? Well, that was my next point because <laughs> I have. Um, at the tail end of this, I was thinking like, oh, maybe the books are different. So like I'll read the books, the movies. Might be a different story. Uh, I got through Casino Royale up until the point where he describes possibly sleeping with Vesper and described it as having the potential of having the sweet tang of rape. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, well, there it is. That's what killed it for me. I'm absolutely done with this. <laughs> No desire to read the rest of the books, nor see any of the movies ever again. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm good. Yet we still watch Spectre. Did we? Yeah, I did. Oh, I think you did too. Probably. The new ones are a little bit better. Yeah. Marginally better. Because we fought over how stupid Spectre was. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie, though. If they ever do end up casting Idris Elba, I will watch that. Well, yeah. I'd watch <laughs> Idris Elba, like, paint a wall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of books, uh, they are not uh, blameless in this whole problematic media world. Uh, probably some recent ones that I'm sure we've all read just based on our age and gender are the Twilight series. Oh. And to a lesser extent, the Fifty Shades of Grey books, which are just the Twilight series minus the vampires and werewolves. <laughs> Same thing. Plus more sex, right? Yeah, I guess. I've only read, <laughs> I've only read excerpts of either of those series. Oh, there you go. She's the only one here then that's read both of them. Both of yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've read Twilight. <laughs> so in Twilight, it's just a really unhealthy relationship that gets depicted between the main characters in like a bunch of ways. So if you view it one way, it's a young teenage girl and a grown ass man because he's been alive since like what, the 20s? So he's, oh, he's hundreds of years, hundreds old. years old. So he's had like a, multiple life experiences and she's like 16. Like... That's just creepy to start off with. 
Um, another way to say it is there's a woman literally willing to throw away her life and die in order to be with a man. And that's just not cool. She pines. Like the whole second book is her like pining away. It is gross. Get a hobby. <laughs> Get a Jacob. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to mention the, the stalking and the creepy watching yeah. her at night staring in bedroom. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh, gross. It's a little Santa of him. <laughs> Wait, actually, one one note on that. It kind of reminds me. Did you guys hear about this Millie Bobby Brown thing? No, no. Where she thought so. There was there's a um, show on Netflix right now called You, I believe it's. Yeah. And it involves this creepy, like stalker, abusive boyfriend character. And so Millie Bobby Brown, um, you know, publicly stated like, "Oh, it was just out of love," yeah. and a bunch of people were like dragging her but keep in mind millie bobby brown is 14 and she is a product of this culture of books like twilight like all that stuff she grew up on that stuff and then we're shaming her and we're shocked that she can't see a toxic relationship like also 14 nobody can see it exactly like it's just it's just wild to me but anyway continue on your point (laughs) (laughs) no good point um so, yes, there's a stalking aspect. A lot of the same complaints can be made about the Fifty Shades books. But what got under my skin about the way people were willing to flame those books was that they overlooked the female character's own, like, independent ability to make decisions. So, yeah, it's not a really healthy relationship. Yeah, she didn't have a lot of experience going into it. But, like, those are still choices she got to make for herself and might kind of try to talk a friend out of that relationship a bit more aggressively than her friends seem to do in the book. But, like... We're all adults. We all get to make our own mistakes at the end of the day. So um, another really skeevy book uh, is uh, Lolita. Ugh. Yeah. Now, when I read it, the back of the book jacket had the following blurb about it, about the story. Quote, hilarious, flamboyant, heartbreaking. Hilarious <laughs> is not a word I would use to describe Lolita. Yes. Uh, so, Yes. Hilarious, flamboyant, heartbreaking, and full of ingenious wordplay, Lolita is an immaculate, unforgettable masterpiece of obsession, delusion, and lust. Immaculate? Yeah. If you are not familiar with the story, for our listeners, judging by the look on both your faces, I think you are, but if you are not familiar with it, the story is about a skeevy old man who, quote, falls in love with his landlady's 12-year-old daughter. To me, when I read it, I was completely, like, disgusted and heartbroken and freaked out the whole time. Part of this obsessive love, he uses her feet to masturbate him, and then he kidnaps her. And it's not a chuckle fest. I don't know. Doesn't he murder her mom? I might have blocked that out, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think in the movie he murders the mom. Mm. The mom ends up dying. Could not watch Jeremy Irons and anything for a very long time after I saw that movie. Like, really upset me. Uh, So to be calling this a hilarious story, I... I think that publisher has a lot to answer for. I don't know if that publisher read the right book. <laughs> that could be it. I'm wondering what I'm wondering what they find hilarious about it. Is it like his desperation, his patheticness? Is that what's supposed to be funny? Yeah, I think that's what they were getting at. Like, isn't he a figure of ridicule that he is so obsessed with this 12-year-old girl who's running the table on him? And I'm like, no. Oh my god. Men's men's desperation ends lives. Yeah. Causes trauma. Like, there's nothing funny about that. When a man is desperate, someone is at risk. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, anybody is that desperate in that sort of Fair unhealthy point. mental state, people are at risk. Right? Yeah. Like Absolutely. And I, I get this is another one of those books that often shows up on best, best of lists, which there's a lot of books on best of lists. I cannot imagine why they're there. Yeah. Love in the Time of Cholera is another one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Another one of those, I can't understand why this shows up on this list type of books, is Romeo and Juliet. Uh, We really need to stop teaching this story in schools because children read it and get this idea of this grand love in their head. Uh, and it never ends well. When you hear on the news, Romeo and Juliet love story, you know trouble is coming. Uh, so if you have not been forced to read it, um, Romeo was 16-ish. Juliet was 13-ish. They fell in love on site alone, and it led to several deaths, including their own. And yet it's seen as the greatest love story of all time. I think, I think one of the issues with that is like, I don't even... 
I don't even fault Shakespeare at this point. I mean, I think a lot of people misinterpret it. Yeah. Like the whole term star-crossed lovers, people use that term all the time, but they don't know what it means. Star-crossed is bad. In astrology, that's bad. It means that they were they were never meant to be together because their stars their stars were crossed. It was a bad thing. And people misinterpret that and think it's the greatest love story when in reality it's meant to be the worst. Exactly. Very good point. It's now it's seen as your destiny is in the stars and that. But like, yes, like you said, if you read it properly and interpret it the right way, that's not a good thing in that case when your stars are crossed. Now, I got to say that being 38, uh, I <laughs> love, I still have the soft spot for the Romeo and Juliet, Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire James. <laughs> Can't, do movie. Can't do it. Can't do it. All right. Sorry. Hard pass. Yeah. I'm with yeah, I love me. <laughs> I'm also a little older than both of you, so fair. <laughs> Uh, so let's move on then to music. And this next song is really what made me put this item on my to-do list of stories to cover on the show. Uh, this is a song from the 60s that, like, as Andy knows, my parents listened to oldies. And I didn't discover my own music until, like, the 90s. So I grew up on oldies. And I heard the song all through my childhood. And it never really hit me what the lyrics were until I was sitting at home listening to them recently. And it's the song uh, Get an Ugly Girl to Marry You by Jimmy Soul from 1963. And just the opening lyrics alone are fun times. Uh, quote, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife. So from my personal point of view, get an ugly girl to marry you. I've never heard that song before. And I'm glad I haven't. Classy. <laughs> never have I either. <laughs> it's it's really poppy and upbeat and fun songs to listen to. And I've like learned the lyrics because they've like imprinted on my childish brain. And so they're with me. Lyrics also include, quote, a pretty woman makes her husband look small and very often causes his downfall. Wow. <laughs> and, quote, a pretty woman makes, oh no, I got that. And don't let your friends say you have no taste. Go ahead and marry her anyway. Though her face is ugly, her eyes don't match. Take it from Yikes. me. She's a better catch. The male ego is a very fragile thing <laughs> for some people. <laughs> I mean, the Gillette ad has shown us that. <laughs> we don't have to go back to 1963 for that lesson. <laughs> um, another one song with lyrics that kind of took me right out of the game when I actually took a minute to listen to them is the song Don't You Want Me by the British group uh, The Human League from 1981. Um if you were a fan of Glee, they featured this song, um, a Rachel Blaine duet. And here are the lyrics that jumped out at me. And this is the man who sings this, quote, You were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I met you. I picked you out. I shook you up and turned you around, turned you into something new. Now, five years later on, you've got the world at your feet. Success has been so easy for you. But don't forget, it's me who put you where you are now, and I can put you back down too. Oh, yikes. That's like a threat. <laughs> a little Pygmalion. Yeah. Well, okay, you're adding a bit of a Audrey Hepburn, Rex Harrison fun twist on that. To me, that's more like maybe tell your parents where you're going uh, <laughs> when you go out at night <laughs> just so that they know where to look for the body. <laughs> like. Uh, and then that also the lyrics there uh, in that song. Again, this is the male singing to the woman. You know, I don't believe you when you say that you don't need me. It's much too late to find. You think you've changed your mind. You'd better change it back or we will both be sorry. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, that's some. That is a threat. That's some kiss by Rose on the cheek level nonsense. And that is like gaslighting. Exactly. There's some stalking there. Oh, how have I never noticed that in those lyrics before? Because it's a really fun synthy eighties pop ballad. Like, Yikes. It, it sounds like it should be a fun song, and it yeah. is not. Don't you want? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like the song um, Sir Mixlock's "Baby Got Back." It's a really fun song, but he did a metal cover of it, and when it's a metal cover, it gets real rapey real fast. It's, it's upsetting to listen to when it's not a pop fun song. Lots of metal songs are really upsetting after a while. <laughs> Actually, yeah, good point, good point. I, am, I love metal, but sometimes it can be a little intense. Yeah. Uh, and then the last song that I want to talk about, 
is a song that I learned about this weekend while watching the R. Kelly doc, and that is the song Age Ain't Nothing But a Number by Aaliyah. And how we didn't all see the writing on the wall with that one and take action, I, I do not know. Questionable lyrics include age ain't nothing but a number, throwing down ain't nothing but a thing. This something I have for you, it'll never change. Take my hand and come with me. Let me show you to ecstasy. Boy, be brave. Don't be afraid because tonight we're going all the way. She was 15 years old when she recorded this and her music producer was R. Kelly at the time who was in his 30s. And he also forged her birth certificate so they could get married. Uh, the doc said his manager forged the marriage certificate. Yeah, sorry, marriage yeah. certificate. So, yeah, we all fell down on that one as a collective. Ooh. So many levels of creepiness there. Yes. that's It's funny because I'm not a big R. Kelly fan ever, but as soon as I, I think like many years ago, I read about him shotgun wedding her mm-hmm. when she was like 15. I was like, mm, I'm done. Yeah. Remix is a nice song, but no. Not her, no. Yeah. I I agree. I really was, I was off the R. Kelly boat a long time ago. And it, it's it's highly upsetting that it, it took this long for people to collectively agree that he's trash. Like, the evidence has been there. It's been out there, like, so obviously. Yes, the documentary did a great job of pulling a lot of information together and evidence together, but a lot of that stuff was readily available, and people just chose not to see it. That was exactly the point I made to Andy when I was watching it. Like, there was no new information in that documentary. It was just compressed together 30 years of creepy into six hours. And actually, the I haven't seen the documentary, but I was reading a, a review of it on Laney. Uh, Laney Gossip, the website, and they were talking about how like it was great for letting a lot of the stuff out that had already been out there, but maybe like really publicizing it. But it really sort of was on the creepy side with how it portrayed some of the family and their emotion, like the parents who were like screaming outside the lawn and they didn't know if their daughter was in there. It's like a little ex- um, uh, exploitative. Exploitative. Thank you. That's where I was going. So yeah. it, was, it has its own problems. Uh, in the documentary itself. Yeah, fair. Uh, speaking of TV, that's my last platform to talk about. Um, it's hard to get a show that's completely problematic from start to finish. Not impossible, looking at you, Fox. <laughs> um, but more often than not, it's just one standout episode here or there. So uh, Game of Thrones is a really good example. I know lots of people who won't watch it, who consider it too problematic to even bother. Yeah, Andy's one of them. Killed some babies and I stopped. I was like, yeah. mm, nope. Tapping out. Tapping out. There's uh, quite a lot of rape goes on in the book. Just racism, uh, ableism, violence, etc., etc. The whole show becomes problematic to one group or another at any given time. Uh, swing completely the other way and you have Looney Tunes. Uh, oddly enough, can be problematic at times. As I found out the hard way, the time I accidentally showed Andy's baby um, an episode in which Daffy was dressed as a Nazi. Oh, my God. My, my bad. <laughs> she was only like six months at the time. She won't remember. <laughs> but it, it like hurts my soul. Um, <laughs> so uh, throughout Looney Tunes' run, it's obviously a, a product of the 40s. So they're, well, even earlier too. So there are some stereotypes um, in terms of racism and different cultural groups. Uh, Warner Brothers actually has taken a really good approach to this now. If you go to YouTube and try to watch some of the clips of the older episodes, there's a warning that comes on at the start of these episodes. Um, And I have it here. So what they're saying now is, quote, the cartoons you're about to see are the product of their times. They may depict some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that were commonplace in American society. These depictions were wrong then and they are wrong today. While the following does not represent the Warner Brothers' view of today's society, these cartoons are being presented as they were originally created because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. Yeah, Uh, fair. And I mean, a very measured and intelligent statement to make about cartoons, I think. Way to go, Warner Brothers. And so while a lot of these episodes shows are just have one or two questionable episodes or part, there is one show that I stumbled across that's just problematic from start to finish. And that was a reality show competition from 2005 on Fox called Who's Your Daddy? They took an adopted adult and put them in a room with eight men, one of whom was their biological parent. And if they could guess who that person was, they would get $10,000 at the end of the, $100,000 at the end of the show. 
What the sweet F? Does this get worse? No, not really. I mean, that's probably the extent of, like, as bad as Fox pushed it. Because Fox had all those, like, crazy reality shows in the early 2000s when reality was, like, the new hot thing. So there was, like, times where they would strap people up to lie detector tests. And if they wanted to get the cash prize, they'd have to, like, be completely truthful. And they'd ask terrible questions like, have you ever cheated on your spouse? Have you ever wanted to cheat on your spouse? Have you ever thought about cheating on your spouse? Like, it just got progressively more, like, dicey for their marriage. (laughs) Temptation Uh, Island. Temptation Island, which is coming back. Uh, So this was on Fox. Duh. Uh, They filmed several episodes, but the pilot had such low viewership. And as you can expect, a lot of backlash. So they finally just decided to shelve the product and move on. Good. It's probably why I've never heard of it. Yeah. So there was an interesting blog article that I read on the topic of problematic media that I just want to finish up with. Um, The author reminds people that problematic media is created by problematic people and as a newsflash, we're all humans, and so we're all problematic. We're always going to have a piece of us that doesn't sit right with someone else. So let's say you're watching something, and it makes you wonder, well, this feels icky, uh, but it's pretty good. How do I reconcile these feelings? There are some tips for you to kind of battle that out in your own uh, mind and conscience. The first is to acknowledge something that you're consuming. The first is to acknowledge that you're consuming something that is problematic and just don't make excuses for it. To say, don't take it so seriously, or it's just a book or just a movie or a song, it's a dick move. It dismisses the narrative of people who, whose experiences are making that media problematic to start off with. Secondly, don't ignore what makes it problematic. Again, it's dismissive of people's experiences. And three, even if you don't find something problematic, you can't ignore other interpretations or less positive views of something that you love. So again, don't be dismissive. And just one last quote about this um, from this article. Quote, as fans, sometimes we need to remember that the things we like don't define our worth as people. So there's no need to defend them from every single criticism or pretend they are perfect. Really loving something means seeing it as it really is, not as you wish it were. You can still be a fan while acknowledging the problematic elements of the things that you love. In fact, that's the only way to be a good fan of problematic things. That's perfect. I completely co-sign that. For sure. Two of my most favorite movies are very problematic. What are they? Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And Days and Confused. Yeah. Watterson with his I stay older, but these girls stay the same age line. Not to be a total book book nerd, but um, have you read Breakfast at Tiffany's? No, I haven't. Mm -mm. You should. It's incredible. It's way better than the movie. Slightly less problematic. Um. More queer people. Well, they don't have, what's his name, dressed up as a Japanese guy. Andy Rooney is not Japanese. Right, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's better by that alone. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So just a final thought. Uh, This isn't about developing a sense of false outrage or blaming others about having a a sense of false outrage. I like to think or at least hope that we're all waking up to how hurtful some of these types of medias can be and that we're working to improve ourselves and the society we live in, hopefully. At least, like, you know, it just admit that you like something that's really trashy. Like, I love Breakfast at Tiffany's, the movie. Loves me some Breakfast at Tiffany's. Right, and then... I admit it is hella problematic. Yeah. <laughs> that's the point. Like, don't deny it. Like, the same way I love Golden Girls, and yeah, they've had some kind of fucked up episodes, but I still love Golden Girls. Yeah, exactly. I like a lot of problematic media. I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, yeah, the newer James Bond movies aren't great in terms of what they do with women and all that. But also watch Daniel Craig in that dinner jacket. Shower. (laughs) Shower. In that dinner jacket. Shower scene. (laughs) Oh, no, that's not true. Problematic media that I love is Mad Men. Oh, yeah, same. I mean, you just, you want to slap Don Draper and, like, drag him into, like, humanity. But, like, also, you're kind of like, I can see why women are sleeping with them. Because <laughs> you'd get on that. Because I'd get on that. Get <laughs> That's why I wrapped your present in John Ham. <laughs> well, to be fair, John Ham, though, is a really amazing person. So, like, for that yes. alone, I can forgive that because he's wonderful. If you've ever heard him talk, like, he's probably one of the sweetest, most genuine people out there. Yes. I heard a story of him showing up at uh, the Hollywood Hollywood Improv after he had made a big on a bike. 
Like he biked there and then biked home. <laughs> oh, how wholesome. I know, right? <laughs> I think Daniel Craig is pretty, like he's pretty easy to get along with too. Cause the, um, again, Matt Myra did his, the interview with him at the Nerdist and he was just like fangirling all yes. over him and he was so <laughs> chill about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm getting lost in your eyes. I'm like, it's creepy, man. It's creepy. <laughs> Reel it in. <laughs> so that was my story. Over to, to Andy to talk hers. So mine is on celebrity couples. Yay. So um, <laughs> I know. So celebrities live in a world that many of us will never experience or understand. Yet most of us here are fascinated and uh, maybe at some point in our lives, we all dreamed of being like a famous actor, actress, or winning an Oscar, or in my case, winning a Tony, because I'm a big <laughs> Broadway geek, or being a pop star. Uh, so we've all sort of wanted to be there. But um, so tonight, I wanted to look at celebrity couples. So there's many types of celebrity couples, um, because there's a lot of celebrity couples, obviously. So I'm going to look at a couple... Uh, of categories, so the low-key couple, the loud slash annoying as fuck couple, uh, the long-term couple, and um, the shortest-term couples, <laughs> which are even more fun to talk about. Yes, <laughs> save the best for last. Yeah, so we're gonna start with the low-key couples. So I've got about four low-key couples. So Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez is pretty much as low-key as you can get for Hollywood. Um, they are rarely uh, papped together. They hardly ever walk a red carpet. Eva even skipped the Oscars in 2007 when Ryan was nominated for Best Actor in La La Land. She actually stayed home with the girls. Hmm. So they're hardly ever out. And it, there's always kinds of rumors with them splitting up. And then she had a second baby. Yeah. So it's like, no, no, they're still together. So they've been together since uh, 2011 when they starred in Place Beyond the Pines, which was an okay movie. The first half was much better than the second half. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. Place Beyond the Pines was pretty good, actually. Hmm. Uh, Ryan Gosling plays this, like, this really dirty biker, and he's like just gross. It's just very strange <laughs> because he is a very attractive man. And they have two kids together. Have they, like, I don't think I've ever seen photos of those kids, but they must be good-looking kids. I know. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> They're not very old. Um, Cameron Diaz and uh, Benji Madden. So these two have actually been together since 2014. Hmm. So do you know who he is? Um, I'm seeing Guy Liner and Black Nail Polish. Yes. The yes. other half of Good Charlotte. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, because I was lost. Okay. <laughs> um, he starts talking music and I just like had the eyes kind of glaze over because like, I'm not a <laughs> music person. I've so. decided now that anytime I do music, I'm going to do like a songs. Uh, so, uh, songs of playlist Ooh, and send it to you before so you have to listen to the music so you have some sort of reference. Smart. That's very so smart. His twin was married to um, Ashley Simpson. No. No. Richie. Nicole Richie. No, yes, Nicole Richie. Sorry. His twin was. So he has been uh, married. So they've been together since 2014. They were married in 2015 in a private ceremony at their home in Beverly Hills. They have no kids. Uh, they're only photographed together slightly more than Eva and Ryan, but they're usually photographed together doing the most chillest things ever, like basketball games or having ice cream in the park, doing normal couple things. They rarely do red carpets and official press together. Ice cream in the park is a normal couple thing? I don't know. I'm perma-single, so I, I don't know for sure, but you ladies will have to tell me, is that normal? <laughs> Um, I mean, I prefer ice cream out of the carton at home, but that's just me. <laughs> I do ice cream by the five state. Yeah, I do ice cream in the park because we go to Scoops. We have like a, I live in a small, small village. And one of our claims to fame is like this really good ice cream place. So all right, I do ice cream in the park. And then, of course, there is no more low key couple than Katie Holmes and Jamie Foxx. Oh, my God. Yeah. So true. Are they together? Are they not? So <laughs> this couple is so hush hush. It's hard to establish a timeline. I mean, let's face it. Katie can keep something under wraps. So she famous, famously escaped her marriage from Tom Cruise. 
uh, in a mystery that will be like speculated on like the Black Dahlia. Like, how did she manage it? Like, we all want to know, don't we? Like, we want to know where those bodies are buried that she held it over them because she got herself out of there. Cleanly. Clean. But we also want to know how she got herself into that. That is true. Audition process, casting, like what happened? There's so many things we want to know. <laughs> so most watchers figure that they uh, they started dating in 2013, although they've been friends for many years before that. Uh, the relationship has been so hush-hush that it's probably caused more buzz than if they've gone public. Um, some people speculate that the secretive na- nature of the relationship is due to a clause in her divorce that she cannot publicly date anybody for five years. What the hell? It's I, the Scientology Tom Cruise of it all, right? Or it's just like regular toxic, fragile masculinity. One or the other. So they have been uh, photographed out in public with each other a couple of times in 2018. So some people see that as they're coming out. They were at the Clive Davis Motown uh, party. They sat at the same table, like next to each other. They left separately and they arrived separately, though. Oh, okay. And then they were photographed out for dinner together in New York. But they did uh, New Year's Eve with their own children and separate coasts. So who knows? Hmm. Um, and if you really want to tell, you can't close out low key couples without mentioning Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson's in a relationship? Yes, she is now, actually. But she also kept her uh, marriages pretty low-key. And actually, one, she was married for nine years, and nobody knew about it until she got divorced. <laughs> what? In the, like, 90s to the early 1000s, she was married for nine years, oh. and nobody knew about it until she, she got divorced. I was going to say someone at TMZ was going to get fired, but it was probably TMZ who picked up on the divorce papers getting filed. <laughs> and then if she is with um, a guy who I cannot remember his name. They have one kid together. Um, but that is also a fairly low key, like all of her relationships have been very low key. Like she was linked with Tupac. That was really low key. She didn't like confirm that for, well, like two decades after he was dead. So she is like the queen of low key celebrity relationships. I really respect that. Cause then like the focus is really on her art and not on what she's doing with her life. Like, like, who could she date that would be com- comparable in terms of her art, too? Like, nobody. Yeah. Miss Jackson. <laughs> Seriously. Like, you're never going to win that battle. So, like, you might as well just keep it low key and, like, stop the comparisons. Because that's what they say kind of drove um, Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown to their extremes was her, ex- her success and his not so much success. So, and they're both massive drug <clears throat> habits. Well, that's what started the jug habit was this like tension between them. So some honorable mentions for low key relationship is uh, Alicia Keys and her husband Swivel Beats. I'm not pronouncing that right. I'm not cool enough to know who that is. I don't either. Uh, Julia Roberts and Danny Motter. And uh, believe it or not, Taylor Swift and her current boyfriend, Joe, whoever his name is. I don't oh, know. I thought she was single. No, I guess I missed that. With him for like a year and a bit, but you never hear about it. Joe, something you said. Joe Alwyn. Alwyn. We are not cool enough to know any of these people. Mm -hmm. You know who we are cool enough to know, though, and are surprised to not see on your list: Um, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. They're coming up. Don't worry. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) So the next is the extra or annoying as fuck celebrity couples. Uh Uh-huh. So the first two are not really annoying. Well, the first one, I should say, is not annoying to me personally. Uh, But when they're in together in public, they're very loud about their love. And I'm not going to lie that uh, Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban are kind of, I I kind of love it. Annoying. They're cringy. Sorry. They're cringy, but like, they just seem so genuinely in love at this age that they're kind of my relationship goals. (laughs) As a lady who's been married for like a while. Oh man, but I can hear that song that was super weird. What was it called? Like girl? Oh my god. Oh maybe that's more my husband question. Female. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> oh my god. It's it's oh my god. Here, wait, hang on. Let me look up the lyrics real quick because like it is nuts. So I, I love Nicole Kidman. So uh, she is probably one of my favorite, but they just seem like they're always touching each other. 
uh, they they're they're definitely annoying a little, but to me that they're uh, they're kind of fun. So they met in January of 2005 at an event called Good ALA <laughs> for a celebrate Australians in LA. Is there anything more Australian than Good A? G apostrophe day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and married in June 2006, and they have two kids together: Sunday Rose and Faith Margaret. And I mean, she had some relationships after Tom. Like she was, she dated Lenny Kravitz for a while. Um, she had a couple other relationships, but she just seems really happy. Which, for having dealt with uh, the shittery that is ten years or nine and a half years of Scientology, I just think like she's she owed it. <laughs> did you find those lyrics? I did. It's not so much that it's problematic. By the way, it's just that it's weird and like cringy. Like the um, the lyrics to the refrain is sister, shoulder, daughter, lover, healer, broken halo, mother nature, fire, suit of art. It goes on. It's a lot. It's really cringy. It's worse when you hear him singing it. I promise you. Country twang. Yeah. Like, I actually now know the song you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. What string was he on when he came up with these? <laughs> I would like to know what it is so I can buy some. So my next couple to me is annoying, and I quite like Ryan Reynolds, but him and Blake Lively together are annoying as fuck. See, and I like them. See, Yeah, yeah I, I have to agree with Elise. I think they're kind of cute. <laughs> so... Um, this couple is very loud in public and especially online. They both have great social media commenting game when it comes to the other's work. Uh, this gets them picked up a lot in other media, BuzzFeed, TMZ, ET. So it keeps it really relevant in the cycle, which, um, like, and shares a lot of the roasting of each other. So I think it's, it's less of a couple's thing and more of a work thing. Like they're very good with playing the game and, and they're both. Um, ready to play it with each other. So keeping uh, the other's projects really in the... So, I mean, how much more did we hear about the Deadpool when they were just filming was because she was commenting on his posts and stuff, right? So they're really definitely playing, uh, promoting each other's projects, and uh, they're definitely walking the line between being that annoying or just a little bit extra. They're actually not too bad in public, but... uh, they met on the set of Green Lantern in early 2010 while Ryan was still married to Scarlett Johansson. Oh, um, yeah. The dating rumor started in 2011 and the couple were married in September 2012. And they have two kids together. Totally forgot about the fact that he was married to Scarlett Johansson. Me too. Poor guy. <laughs> she is a bit of a... Back then she was really, well, attractive but that was like a low-key relationship they got married in the middle of nowhere and vancouver just outside of vancouver on some lodge somewhere and then like to go from this really low-key relationship and don't forget he was engaged to alanis morissette yes oh yeah canadians good canadian couple the nation (laughs) mourned when that's your people we all forget that ryan reynolds has been around for a long time like he was in two guys a girl in a pizza place yes yes totally is that a canadian thing no? Did I miss uh, that? That? Uh, that? was a New York sitcom. Yeah, sitcom. I've never heard of that. Google it. <laughs> I remember it as being funny, but God knows. <laughs> yeah. I've wa- I think it was on Netflix or something. I, I remember watching Ooh. it not that long ago. Um, two Guys, a Girl. It would became, it originally was called Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place, and then they dropped the pizza place. Because, obviously. <laughs> it was just before Van Wilder. He played like a sitcom version of okay. Van Wilder, basically. Interesting. Which is a lot of what he plays, let's face it. <laughs> um, the next one is Jennifer Lopez and basically any guy she's ever been with. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, as Lainey, uh Gossip Site loves to put it, when she loves, she loves in all capitals. Like, <laughs> she loves, loves, loves. She yeah. falls in love hard. She loves hard um, and very publicly. We all remember P. Diddy, Benifer. Um, and now A-Rod. Yes. Uh, I oh, think, you forgot Mark Anthony. I was going to say, I think her two marriages to dancer, um, backup dancer Chris Judd, not Casper, um, that was bef- after Puff Daddy and before uh, Ben Affleck. She mm-hmm. was married to Chris Judd. And uh, her marriage to Mark Anthony have probably been her lowest key relationships. Mm-hmm. 
but neither of them would be considered low-key by anyone's standards. <laughs> and let's not forget that dancer she hooked up with after Mark Anthony, before A-Rod, Casper, whatever his name was. I thought that was the one she married. No, no, that's Chris Judd. She married him a long time ago. I okay. double-checked the facts. <laughs> uh, yeah, the more recent one was, like, really young, yes. I think. Yeah, he was young. And then he, I think he stepped out on her, which is like, what? Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, Jennifer is with A-Rod. Everybody originally thought was like, how is he going to deal? Because like A-Rod is a notorious uh, egomaniac. Mm-hmm. How is he going to deal with being with like this super, super big star? But he seems to actually be really into the relationship, the two of them. He really is playing this game and he knows that J-Lo is good for A-Rod business. <laughs> and he seems to like, it's so funny if you've seen any videos, some of the original videos they posted, like the one time he went to see her live and he was just fangirling all over this performance. <laughs> so they seem like really quite cute together, but they seem to really definitely be promoting each other's projects and know that we're good for business. So unlike some of the other ones she's been with before, he seems to enjoy being in the limelight as much as she does. And he seems to be willing to play this relationship game. Yes. So maybe she'll finally find happiness. They are buying a bigger house. They had a two or three bedroom um, penthouse in New York and they're getting a bigger one. But between the two of them, they have like four or five teenage kids. Oh. So you, none of those kids are going to be wanting to share a room. If their parents are J-Lo and A-Rod, they're going to have to find somewhere where all th- those kids can have a room themselves when they visit their parents. Problems I never knew and never will know in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like... Nothing can be as annoying as J-Lo and uh, Ben Affleck, though. Mm-mm. No. Although those the matching suits that her and P. Diddy used to wear. Oh, also man. Um, yeah, but they pale in comparison to that Jenny and the Block music video. <laughs> Jennifer on the goddamn boat. Oh, <laughs> man. It's like, come on, guy. So honorable mentions uh, is Taylor Swift and Loki or Tom Hiddleston. That was the most annoying relationship ever. It was. And also the fakest relationship ever. They both leaned into it hard. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it was just a publicity stunt. Like, I don't think they liked each other. It didn't look like it. (laughs) I remember that, like, uh, the Taylor Swift, one of her last big July 4th. Mm-hmm. And it was the pictures of like them and the other friends on the couples on the front porch, and Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds was there. And Ryan Reynolds just looks like it's like painting his soul to be in this picture. It's like all our significant others hate that one girlfriend that we have, and like <laughs> you still drag him to her place and gets caught in the photo. That's what that situation was. Yeah. Uh, my other uh, most annoying couple is Christian Bell and Dax Shepard. I find them very annoying. And Kim and Kanye. So that's your... I feel like they should be number one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, they are the utmost annoying couple. And I don't understand how it works between their egos. Like, that's got to be at least five people in a relationship, like, together. Like, the two of them and the other three and a half are ego. Well, I think it's sort of, you know, go back to Twilight. But Mm -hmm. you know how that line in Twilight, they talk about... Um, when the werewolves imprint. No, and Andy, how- I can't quote Twilight. <laughs> I just remember. I'm a little reading- sad that you can. <laughs> I just remember this part and being so like, what the fuck are they talking about? But um, it was one of the other werewolves anyway, and they're talking about how um, how the girl could not fall in love because this person is so devoted and so obsessed almost with you that how could you not? So that, to me, is the Kanye. Kanye was obsessed with Kim before they got Mm, together. True. And he wooed her, and he was just obsessed with her. So I think that's how it sort of works, Mm. is that she is this, like, goddess up on high for for him, and uh, she enjoys it. She's in love with that. Yeah. But at some point, those implants are going to start sagging, and stuff's going to change. Like, I don't see them as a forever couple. Mm. Oh, no. (laughs) He's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) so my next one is long-running celebrity couples so celeb marriages or relationships are usually shorter than a fashion season Um, but some last the test of time and here are some to confirm your faith and love Hmm. so we have tom hanks and rita wilson 
They met in. Oh, yes. I know. Aren't they so cute? They're the cutest. (laughs) They met in 1988 on the set of uh, a TV sitcom called Bosom Buddies Uh and got married in uh, 1988. I said 1988, but maybe they got either married the same year or the, the next year. So that means they've been married over 30 years. And he said that there's no secret. They just like each other. Aww. He is always raving about her. Oh. It's really cute. So number two is Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. So they've been together for almost 36 years, but they're not yes. married. Yeah. These two have these two are relationship goals. They actually met back in 1968 on the set of the one, the only genuine original family band. <laughs> And there was chemistry between the two of them, but Goldie Hawn was 21 at the time, but Kurt Russell was only like 16. Hmm. So the age difference was a little too much, but there was some definitely chemistry. They went their separate ways. Both of them got married a couple of times and they actually hooked back up in 83. So they've been together since 1983. According to Hawn, a lasting relationship isn't about marriage. It's about compatibility and communication Uh, You both want to work at it and you need to work at it. And I second that. There's also a couple of quotes about them and sex and potentially having an open marriage once Mm -hmm. or twice. But I mean, when you're married for 36 years, maybe that's what you need to do. A little bit of strain every now and then, as long as you're both fine with it. Um, They also, she also recommends regular action. (laughs) That adds up. Like, why are you so coy all of a sudden? I know. (laughs) Because she is so uptight. Yeah, fair. (laughs) And my number three is Michael J. Fox and Tracy Poland. So they met when Tracy played the love interest of Michael's character on Family Ties, and they made it official in 1988. So they have been each other's rock for over 31 years. Hmm, cute, cute. And they are very cute together as well. Um, on the other side of the coin is coin is the shortest celebrity marriages. Here's where the dirt comes in. This is what I like. So the 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 shortest celebrity marriage on record is Britney Spears and Jason Alexander. Oh my god, I remember that. Uh, she might not. It would happen so fast. <laughs> Uh, again 55 hours they got married in vegas and it was annulled there's only four on this list i could have kept going most of them are vegas though not shocking uh number two is carmen electra and dennis rodman if we all remember that what they got married for nine days sweet summer child you're so much younger than we are (laughs) 94 oh boy (laughs) <laughs> the Vitality album came out. Uh, they were married for nine days. They uh, they got married in Vegas and it got annulled. And that was before she married Dave Navarro. Side note: Can I just say I am getting such a kick out of how you two pronounce Vegas? Oh, how does well? It's it's very cute. You're pronouncing it like it has egg in it, like Vegas. It's adorable. Oh, well, you're so Canadian. I love it. it. It's Vegas. Vegas. I'm also, uh, I also have an accent, so. She's from Newfoundland. Oh, really? Yeah. When she gets angry, it comes out real hard, and I love it. Here for it. Uh, Also, Cher and Greg Allman from Allman Brothers, uh, they were married nine days. They went to Vegas to get married right after her divorce from Sonny Bono. Like, right after. Really? How soon after? Very soon. Very, very soon. Hmm. And then uh, she decided after nine days it was not a good idea, and she had to get another divorce because they didn't get an annulment. <laughs> Are you saying Aww. when you make, like, big life decisions at the spur of the moment, things can go horribly wrong? Yes, that's what? exactly what I'm saying. And then uh, number four, we all know that Kim, we all think of Kim and what's his name? Um, Chris Humphreys. Chris Humphreys and the 72 day marriage is the shortest, but it's not even. Uh, Ethel Merman and uh, Ernest Borgnine were married for 32 days. I'm sorry, should we jump in the Wayback Machine? Like, I really. Wait, are you talking like I Love Lucy, Ethel Merman? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were on my list. <laughs> so it goes 55 hours, nine days, nine days, 32 days for shortest marriages. So they were divorced after 32 days. Divorce was not new to any of them because this was her fourth divorce. 
And this was the third of four for him. Wow. He was married five times in total. The last one stuck. She was married four times and divorced four times. <laughs> so uh, these two people knew a lot about divorce. Clearly. That's the that's the dream. If you're the divorce lawyer in town, that's Actually, the people you want. All of these people on this list have been divorced a number of times. This is true. This is very true. Like Brittany's been divorced, what, two or three? Two? Two. And uh, Carmen Electra has been married a bunch. I don't think Cher has. Other than these Other two. Other than these two. <laughs> that were right together. <laughs> she just wanted to knock two divorces out real quick. Yeah. yeah. For just sure. get them out of the way. Third Instead of, like, spreading them out over her life, like, just get them done right away. It's funny because I can't remember. I don't think it said in the article how close they were together, but the article was, like, very, very shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> she went to Vegas to get married. <laughs> wow. Very interesting story. Way to go, Andy. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I think that just about does it for our episode uh, today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are so thrilled that you were able to join us. And um, we had a lot of fun having you on here. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, for our listeners, if you want to get in touch, our website is www.rabbitholespodcast.com. Our email is at, no, our email is, I'll give an actual email address, rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a note. Let us know um, about some rabbit holes that you like or rabbit holes you'd like us to join down on your behalf. Our Twitter is at rabbitholespod. Facebook page is the Rabbit Holes Podcast page. And Instagram is at rabbitholespodcast. I think I got all that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> If you think that we're doing a good job and like to throw a couple of shekels our way and like to support us, you can find our Patreon on our website under the support tab. Um, we have some great stuff coming up for our levels. You can also uh, go see our merch on our Redbubble store, which you can also reach from our website on the merch tab. You can also rate us on iTunes or stitcher but not on google play but we're there too um so rate us give us a review or send us out some recommendations to your friends or tell buzzfeed that we need to be on their list of uh podcasts listen to yeah podcasts listen to in 2019 anything you want to plug for yourself there ann I'm just, you can follow me on Twitter at Anne from the Shy and check out my literary magazine, Cat on a Leash Review at, it's catonaleashreview.com. I will definitely be checking it out. I hope it's uh, cat-centric. So, <laughs> it's not. Uh oh I'll check it out anyway, but. <laughs> You're a crazy cat lady. I am. I mean, I am too. <laughs> I was definitely inspired by my cat, but um, it kind of morphed. Yeah, turned into something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll be sure to put a, the link up on our media so that everyone can find you too. And awesome. We'll go that way. So there's just one last thing to do tonight, and that's to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.